roll around here. We just wing it. <laughs> we roll just me in on the wheelchair. Hello, everybody. Angelo DeSibio here for Wrestling with the Future. Joined as I am every week by the happy haberdasher, Dan the Man Sebastiano. They call him the smartest man in the room. If you don't believe that, just ask him. He'll tell you. And tonight <laughs> we've got a uh, a newcomer with us and a trusted stalwart from days gone by. But this young whoopersnapper and this uh, this old fart, they've got a lot in common. They actually wrote a book together. <laughs> Joining us tonight is our dear friend, a buddy of mine from a long, long time, who once in a while remembers who I am. Cowboy Scott Casey is with us, and his co-author, the guy who kind of put this book together for him, the book is called One Last Ride, The Tales of Cowboy Scott Casey, and there is the book, and it's behind me as well, my friend, and uh, his name is Nick Mashey, he's a nice Irish guy from Yonkers, (laughs) how are you, Nick? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Angelo. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Yeah, uh, uh, getting to know Cowboy over the last uh, four or five years uh, has been quite the experience. It's, it's great to be on the show with him. And, uh, yeah, look forward to talking all things wrestling, all things One Last Ride. Beautiful. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's uh, let's talk about this. I want to get right into this. We've talked about the book before, but mm-hmm. I want to get into this on a, on a deep dive level. Um, Scott and I have, of course, you know, he's been, this is his seventh appearance on the show. I think he remembers (laughs) one or two of them, but (laughs) I love you, Scott. Uh, But he's been here for, uh, for a few times and we've talked about the book, you know, intermittently, but we never took the deep dive. Have we, Dan? No, sir. But we're going to tonight, Dan, um, you're the uh, the smartest guy in the room, so you should know the answers. Don't give me that look. <laughs> so you should know the answers to all this stuff. So just if if I get in trouble, then I'm going to throw out a lifeline and just just jump in there for me. So well, Scott, let me ask you a question. You and I talked before, and you said that you know you wanted to put these stories and memories down in a book before you got too old to remember them. Well, you got a treasure trove of memories, brother. And every time I think that you've uh, exhausted the storyboard, there are more. Um, Nick, was it a daunting task for you to keep up with Scott's stories? And how did you get involved? Uh, How did you and Cowboy Scott Casey uh, make contact, uh, meet each other, know each other? How did all this walk me through that process? Sure, sure. So for about the last uh, five or six years now, um, I've been uh, w- what they call a, a wrestling vendor or, you know, a wrestling convention promoter. So what that is, I grew up a wrestling fan. I've been a wrestling fan all my life. And uh, I've always, like I'm sure everyone on this call, uh, have a specifically appreciated the old school style of wrestling. That's what I grew up on. I'm 35 years old. So my first wrestling memory is 1987. Uh, and uh, as I've gotten older, I've gone. Can back I and- smack you? Can I smack <laughs> Let me smack him first. You bro- <laughs> so, so as Listen I've to him. The- old, he's talking old school and he's 35. Well, well, right. Listen- I, I feel like uh, in wrestling wise, I'm, I'm wise beyond oh my, my years because God. I, I, I have an appreciation of everything that came uh, before me. And uh, so I, I've worked with, you know, hundreds of talents over the last five or six years. And Cowboy, I first worked with about about four years ago. And uh, 
we we had done we had done an appearance up in the New York, New Jersey area. Uh, we did a wrestling convention appearance, Legends of the Ring in New Jersey. My company is named Captain's Corner, by the way. And sure. I brought Scott in for a signing, and uh, me and Scott clicked, and we kept in touch for the next few months. A few months later, uh, Scott actually suffered a heart attack and, you know, had quadruple bypass surgery. And I kept in touch with him throughout the whole time. I know uh, it was a traumatic and rightfully so traumatic experience in his life. And, you know, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But Scott, you know, persevered. And uh, afterwards, when he was in recovery and, you know, kind of coming to grips with it, uh, he realized, I think we both realized that, you know, Scott is one of those last road warriors of the ring, you know, worked everywhere in the United States and into Japan and, you know, Australia in the 70s and 80s. And, and we needed to get Scott's stories out there. I, I've I've written before short form, never, never anything long form. I uh, never anything published. So uh, this was uh, a task, I guess, a vanity project for me. As a wrestling fan, as you know, I would say someone who enjoys writing. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to say I'm a good writer, but I'm someone who enjoys writing. I think I've developed into into a, a okay writer. But mm. uh, Scott has so many stories, and he was able to. I, I did. I did a lot of research on Scott, but Scott remembers those stories so vividly. He may tell the same twenty stories over and over again, but the ones he remembers, he's got such great attention to detail and. And we clicked, me and Scott. So it was never yeah. a chore talking to Scott. To where if Scott was closer, he's someone that I would, you know, grab a drink or grab a burger with at the bar and just bullshit. So that's kind of what we did every time we saw each other. And then obviously we spent a lot of time talking over the phone. I would say well well over 60 hours just of recording time over the phone, going through Scott's career, you know, um, going through the first draft of the book, so on and so forth. So, uh, yeah, Scott was was an open book. There was... Pretty much nothing that was off limits. Uh, a couple of stories that we didn't share just because the stories didn't necessarily involve Scott. Scott didn't want to throw anyone under the bus, which could, goes to show you the kind of person he is. He was an yeah. open book life, but he didn't want to get any of the boys in trouble. You know, Angelo, you talked enough of the boys. You know how the boys are. Who's married? Oh, yeah. and married. So Scott was very fair with that. And uh, But yeah, we, we had a great time. The, the process took uh, over 10 months, a little under a year. And we, we released it uh, the first quarter of 2019. And, uh, yeah, we've uh, we've done autograph signings in Texas and Florida and the Carolinas and New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Uh, yeah. A couple of different towns in New York. I would say about five or six, Texas. About, about six now, or seven. Nick, you're uh, Legends of the Ring. That was in uh, Somerset, New Jersey, right? Monroe, New Jersey. Monroe, New Jersey. Not too far. Okay. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Right, right outside of Somerset. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, I remember that there were there uh, there have been several uh, in that area over the years. In yep. fact, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that was the home base for quite a little while. That 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 was the first big wrestling convention that ran regularly in the area. At this point, it's they just moved from Monroe to I, I forgot. I think they were going to Woodbridge now, but they were in Monroe right. this hotel for for over over 15 years. Yeah, and there were problems with the, the hotel accommodations. Yeah, as someone who, who went there as a fan when I was a, a teenager, you know, uh, or at least my early 20s, and yeah. then now has been working with them for the last five or six years, seven years, the hotel kind of became more and more outdated. They weren't putting the money in. Yeah. And by, by the last show they had there, which was uh, at this point, uh, God, October of 2019. Because both of their shows were canceled for this year, obviously, with everything going on. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, the accommodation just weren't there. What you want for, like, a top-notch hotel for, you know, all the talent and the fans. Yeah. Flying. So. 
Yeah, I know. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. You know, I, I've actually had to cancel a couple of appearances as well. Scott, um, talk to me about uh, this young uh, young squire named Nick Massey. Um, <laughs> how did he present himself to you when you met this kid? Was he a, a snot-nosed little punk, or was he a respectable young man? <laughs> respectable young man, really. I mean, I, I love Nick to death, and if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be with the book, you know, I mean, he, he did such a great job on it. It was, and the, the cover is unbelievable. And, yeah. uh, he, like I told him, I said, you know, I could have probably had 25 guys in divorce court, but I, I didn't talk about anything like that because well, I mean, it's none of their damn business. <laughs> so anyway, you know, what's but, funny uh, that you say that Scott, cause I've had, uh, and Dan will tell you, uh, I've had in, in the last month, I've had five wrestling book authors on the show. In wow. fact, we have another show Thursday with yet another author. Kenny Casanova will be here. And they don't uh, mind throwing people under the bus. I got to tell you, um, the fact well, that, you know, what, yeah, go ahead. What, you know, what goes around comes around. And I want if it's yeah. coming back at me, I want it to be nice. You know, it, it just, it's just common courtesy and the way you're brought up, you know. I mean, sure, you might sell a few more books, but it's not worth it in the long run, really. You it, know, it, and I, that's the way I look at it. You're absolutely right. Dan. Yes, sir. I'm sure you've got questions for these uh, fine gentlemen. Have at it. You know, uh, I do actually. Nick struck, kind of struck a chord with his opening statement where he talked about being a fan of the old school days, despite me in 35. I'm I'm 37, and I grew up watching. I, I enjoyed more watching the old territory tapes than I did watching some of what was on TV at the time. Absolutely. And I, I guess I, I'm curious from that end. Um, and this is more more for you, Nick, than, than Scott. But how did, how do you go? How did you go about like? Explain kind of it's kind of that story. How did that go about from from you know be tuning in as a kid? Like oh, well, 19, you mentioned 1987, so mm-hmm. you had you know uh, Saturday night and and uh, worldwide was Saturday mornings. You know how did you go about from that to let me watch? Because you you were this is New York, New Jersey, or excuse me, uh, you know the, the New, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia. You didn't have. NWA, Southwest, Regional. How did you go about discovering people like Scott Casey and Jerry Lawler and some of these Southern names? How did you go about doing that as a fan growing up in the 80s? So so my connection was actually uh, when my family got cable in the Bronx, it was, I think, 1989. So I, I watched, of course, WWF, and I, uh, I'd watched the syndicated NWA shows, you know, worldwide, like you said. Uh, but when I got ESPN, that was when I started watching Heroes of World Class and AWA. And uh, that stuff, actually, that was when I first saw Kerry Von Erich for the first time and Jerry Lawler for the first time. And, you know, uh, the Destruction Crew I was a big fan of. And, you know, oh, uh, God, uh, Iceman Parsons and all of these guys that, you know, you didn't see at the time in the NWA. You didn't see for Vince. So it was a whole new world of wrestling. And I, as a kid, I didn't know Eric Embry was another guy I loved. And it, I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but it just felt different than what I was watching on superstars or what I was watching on, you know, a worldwide or one of the syndicate shows in channel 11, you know, right. it was just different that Texas style of wrestling or even the AWA. I, I got you. Let me, let me follow up on that. Scott, mm-hmm. 
How does it feel? Yeah. I mean, you, you, we were talking before we started recording, you know, about age and getting older and all that. How does it feel being, you know, at where you, where you are now and having fans that, you know, were were grew up watching you on tape that are still that are still fans? Like you, you talked about doing book signings and promotions. I mean, you I've been to these wrestling conventions. Half the crowd there is under the age of thirty five, and, and yet yet you know Scary. you and, and we. We talked about it on other shows with like Wahoo McDaniel and some of these names where they get more attention than the modern talent. How does that feel having so many fans that, that grew up watching you after the fact and are still loving your work? I'm obviously very grateful. You know, I mean, we busted our ass to get the people to come back. I'll give you a prime example of that. I'm wrestling Dory Funk Jr. for the title the world heavyweight belt in Amarillo. And we did a two out of three fall match. And uh, this was brought back to me by a fan one on it. texted me one day and, and asked me about it. I literally not casually, but literally broke and tore my little finger. It was hanging after the first fall. He had won the first fall. I go back to the dressing room and I'm taping it up and I'm hollering and carrying on because Angela, honest to God, I almost passed out. It hurts so bad. So anyway, Wahoo says, kid, did anybody tell you you had to do this for a living? No, oh shit. Uh." He said, well, shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) You can find sympathy alphabetically in the dictionary between shit and syphilis. And Nick has heard me say that many, many times. And it's and it'll work in life. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just the way it is, you know. And I just, you know, but uh, this guy asked me, he said, how did you go back out there and do that with uh, your your finger hanging like that while I taped it up? I said, I'll tell you what, kid. I was afraid that Wahoo was going to beat the shit out of me if I didn't get out there and finish the two out of three fall. Exactly. <laughs> he started, like, and and mean, not only guy, that, and sell for and sell it too. <laughs> oh, I didn't mind selling it at all. I was hurting like a son of a. I mean, it went up my arm, down my side, you know. And but that's that was you know back then they didn't carry doctors with them like they do now. I right. mean, they have doctors inside and chiropractors and stuff. And, you know, Karen uh, McDaniel's a good friend of the show, Scott. Wahoo's wife, Karen. She's a good friend of mine, good friend of the show. We had her here. She's been here a few times, as a matter of fact. And she said, one of the funny thing about Wahoo, that if you didn't sell and he knew you weren't selling, he'd beat the shit out of you on a shoot to get, to get you to sell for him. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you're you're looking at a guy that was about 5'11", 290. Right. He played middle linebacker for the New York Jets and for the Dallas Texans before the 1960 they became the Cowboys. But anyway, I mean, this guy, he didn't ask for any quarters and he didn't take any. I mean, he would literally. I saw him one night with Johnny Valentine. We were up in Norfolk, Virginia, and they literally beat the piss out of each other. And uh, like Johnny said, you may not believe it's real. He said, but you'll believe what we do is real. And oh We heard God. that story firsthand. Dan and I heard that story firsthand 
from Karen. Yeah. Firsthand. Yeah. Yep, we sure and did. You know, I I guess maybe my mind's gone blank, but I really when I left San Antonio in the eighties, I had never met Karen. So I, I you know, I mean Maybe I did, and I can't, you know, I'm getting that sometimes disease. I don't know, but I don't, I mean, she seemed like a real nice person, and it was fun being around her for a, for the little time that I was, but, you know. Right. Anywho. Uh, so well, where did while, the, uh, you know, let, while I got you there, Scott, let me ask you this, I'll throw this at you. Maybe you or Nick, whoever wants to jump in on it. Um, where did the uh, the working title of uh, One Last Ride come from? Whose idea was that? It was Nick's. I, I mean, so he, brought, Nick. he brought this so, so I have a funny story went, sure. about that. If you guys want, I've never told this story public, so you'll appreciate this. So okay, um, the initial title of the book that Scott and I agreed on was Time is Diminishing Asset, the tale of Cowboy yes. Scott Casey. Right? Right, Scott? Remember? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, so, a friend of mine in uh, St. Pete, Florida, uh, Lee Dutcher, said that to me one day. And then he also said, it's not what you make, it's what you save. I mean, this guy was... Exactly. He still is. Unbelievable. You know, I mean, I'll have him get with me sometime and we'll get on there because great guy. But anyway, he wasn't a wrestler and never has. a very smart fellow and all that. But anyway, uh, he came up with some of this stuff. And when he told me that time is a diminishing asset, I thought for, I had to sit there and think about it for a while. And then I thought, oh, shit, 40 or 50 years have gone by, you know, since you started. You know, I started in 70. And, yeah. You know, it's 2020, you know. Where does yeah. it go? So I'm going to jump mean, back in to finish that story, Scott. So uh, we, we love we the title, Time is a Diminishing Asset. And I was talking to Dutch Mantel. I brought in Dutch Mantel for a convention one time. And Dutch Mantel uh, was like, oh, how's Scott Casey doing? I'm like, well, I'm writing his book. We've been working together on this book for the last eight months. It's going to be coming out soon, blah, 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 blah. He's like, oh, great. Uh, so he's like, what's the name of the book? So I said, Time is a Diminishing Asset, The Tale of Cowboy Scott Casey. And he's like, Time is a Diminishing Asset? He's like, Nick, don't take this the wrong way. But wrestling fans don't give a fuck about assets, diminishing assets. <laughs> exactly. He's like, he's like, you need to have a catchier, shorter title. So I always had the the idea of one last ride in my mind, you know, just from Cowboy Scott Casey, and you know, obviously, uh, last ride being so closely associated with the Cowboy and Scott's going through this life changing experience uh, in the later years of his life with, you know, the, the health recovery from his quadruple bypass surgery. And then I'm right. like, you know what? You're right, Dutch. So I told him a couple of weeks later, I'm like, Hey Dutch, we're going with one last ride. He's like, good. That last title sucked. <laughs> exactly. like, I gotta tell you, I gotta, I gotta tell you something with Dutch. We were drunk one night and talking about marriages. And I told him, I said, I've been married seven times. Well, I haven't, but anyway, he put that in his book, and I said, what the hell? If it buys, if it sells books, I'm for it. I've been married 20 times. Who cares, you know? But that's just, that was Dutch. Anywho. Well, I tell you what, he, he's a character. Yeah, he is. He's a character. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about, well, let's go into the, the deep dive, uh, the, uh, the inner workings of this book. You know, anybody who's written a book, and by the way, I've, I've written a book, so I understand what it's like. 
it's a lot of work, first of all. Absolutely. Um, if you don't have somebody to work with you, it's a lot of work, it's frustrating, and it's aggravating. But you've it got... It would have been like me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, if it had been just me, it would have been me, Larry, Curly, and Mo. I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> I don't know anything about riding. Well, that's pretty you know, much God. who worked on my book with me. Me, Mo, Larry, and Curly. <laughs> but, um, no, and I can, I can tell you that it, it's... It's frustrating uh, on many levels, especially if it's your story, because you want it to be right. You want to leave, you know, of course, you want to leave your most embarrassing stuff out. You want to keep your, you know, you want to make yourself look uh, you know, on your best game, so to speak. Right. But sometimes. Well, you are, in a tell you all, yeah, but sometimes, you know, in a tell all book, it's not always prudent to do that. Because then it becomes self, you know, um, self-righteous or self-aggrandizing to make yourself look too good, mm-hmm. you know, uh, almost too perfect. Um, how, Nick, how did you walk that balance between humanity and wrestling star with well, Scott? Because I, I, there are, you know, oh, there are two different personalities sure, here. Absolutely. So I, I think I, I never met Scott when, when you know, he was uh, selling out arenas in San Antonio in the late 70s, you know, early 80s. I didn't know Scott when he was working for the Von Erics and they were all over ESPN. And, you know, I didn't know Scott when he worked for Vince. But the Scott I know is an extremely and he and he say he says he'll say it's because of age, but he's an extremely humble person. You would never know that, you know, he he sold out arenas and upwards of 12, 13000 people. At some point in his life, which is something that how many people can really say? Uh, Not many is the correct answer, but you would never know that speaking to this version of Scott that I knew. So getting the truth from Scott was always pretty easy. And Scott was also very open uh, and very honest about your mistakes he's made and uh, where his where some shortcomings were and, you know, areas he did really well in areas he didn't really do as much in, you know. So um, that part was actually I. Dealing with Scott didn't have much of an ego when it came to getting the truth out of him. It was just finding ways to kind of spark Scott's memory and getting stories and getting the book out of him. That's what I did. I was the facilitator. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Dan. Um, you know, continuing on that narrative with the stories, where did you go? I mean, obviously, you talked about the the overcoming the bypass and everything. Where did you decide to focus? Because when you have uh, a, a career that spanned nearly 30 years and you have a life 10 lifetimes worth of stories that you could write uh, you could fill a bookshelf with Scott sure. Casey stories like how did you how did oh, you yeah. fine-tune that into one book what narrative like how did you choose the narrative you you ended up going with so uh, I like what to I think... go ahead Scott go ahead uh, go ahead I, I like to think of uh one last ride is almost someone's in a, a four or five hour car ride with Scott and they got They've each got a case of beer and they're going from town A to town B because those are the books that I, I get the most enjoyment out of. I like reading those books. Me and Scott agreed early. We were not going to talk a lot about his personal life. We were going to stick on, you know, obviously there's an origin story there. We talk about Scott being born a little bit about, you know, the development process of human being. But we realized wrestling fans want to hear wrestling stories. They don't really care that Scott was married to this person or he was married to this person or, you know, his 
his third cousin on his uh, mom's side, you know, uh, was born in this town in Texas. So I, we kept it to stories about Scott's career. And then we kind of just kept to the timeline about Scott breaking into the business, uh, you know, uh, with Bobby Duncan and then, you know, working for the Funks and then going uh, to Florida and then so on and so forth. So we kept it. And Scott spent six years of his life in San Antonio. So a big portion mm-hmm. of the book is, I think about probably close to 20% of the book is his time in San Antonio, you know, yeah. his time working for Joe Blanchard, his time working with Tully Blanchard, with Gino Hernandez, Len Denton, all the guys in that Southwest championship wrestling, uh, Wahoo McDaniel, you know, Tom Jones, Mil Mascaris, all those guys. And we spent a lot of time talking about the Von Erichs because of course he spent a lot of time with the Von Erichs, spent a lot of time working for Fritz. And then, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Vince also, a lot of people that maybe were not as familiar with Scott's time uh, in the Texas area, they know Scott from his time working for Vince McMahon nationally, you know, hitting every state sure. in the country. Uh, so we spent time talking about that with, you know, all of the names that, you know, Joe Schmo on the street would know. You're Andre the Giant, you're Hulk Hogan. And Scott spent time with all of those guys. He's got great stories about all those guys. Yeah. So oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, by the time I met Scott in, in in 1985, it was 85, 86, but it was it was clearly at the Philadelphia Spectrum backstage, um, because I lived backstage at the Spectrum. Um, I had already known who he was, Scott. You know, um, I already knew who Cowboy Scott Casey was, and I probably at that point, I'm guessing you probably had. Close to 16 or 17 years in the business already by that point. Yes, I did. Is that uh, about right? About 16, again. 17 years? Right. It was about, about 17, almost 18. Anyway. Right. <laughs> and when I first. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and when you and I met, because one of the things that I did at the Spectrum was to you know, make everybody comfortable. That was my my job, you know, backstage hospitality. Um, the fact that you know uh, I connected with the wrestling folks more than any other group of people should say an awful lot about me. Um, maybe not so not some positive. I don't know. Shut up, Daniel. <laughs> but the fact that you know that I had this uh, this camaraderie with wrestling folks speaks volumes. Uh, of them and me, but uh, Scott Casey and I kind of hit it off. Um, yes, we did. And it's funny because one of the things that, that you're going to laugh. One of the, the things that bring people together, and it wasn't wrestling stuff. It was the most mundane, ridiculous conversation about food. Food. The difference between northern food. And the shit, I mean, the stuff you get in Texas. Huh. <laughs> and the stuff you get in Texas. But that's what we, what we, that's how this Cowboy Scott Casey and I met. We got yeah. acquainted over food, talking about food. And, uh, well, and I know eat. that he likes, uh, he likes Italian. Uh, he must like Italian an yeah, awful lot. Yeah. He got an Italian kid to write a book for him. For <laughs> I know. What is it with all you guys got the, if you don't have an I in your name, you're you know you're not an Italian. I guess I don't know. I anyway, don't know, brother. I, I anyway, 
Nick and I were, I think, was it that, correct me, Nick, in Jersey when we went to that Mexican restaurant? Yeah, yes, sir. And, that was uh, Legends of the Ring. Yep. Uh, oh, my God. I mean, now I've eaten a lot of Mexican food. And I'm and all you Texans that are listening, I'm sorry, but this was the best fajita I had ever had in my life. God almighty, it was good. And uh, you should take Nick to it. I mean, take uh, Angelo to it, and he'll he'll appreciate it after you do. Honest to God, it's so good. If you're telling but, me that you found a better fajita in New Jersey than you did in the Tex-Mex region of America, brother... I, yes, I'll spend. I I'll give you gas money to come and get me. <laughs> <laughs> like a winner. But honestly, I'll, God, I'll I mean, pay I, your trans to come and get. Me. <laughs> no, I tell you what though, it, the, it, it's funny though. You know, it the the just the the simplest conversations bring people together, mm-hmm. and I and it was easy yeah, to find you know, out. You, you yeah, get tired of hearing everybody. Well, what's this guy like? What's that guy like? You know, and sometimes you very often you get in a good conversation about food. And, it, you know, it, yeah. it was refreshing, you know, instead of somebody trying to either get in your back pocket or get in your head about your wrestling. And, it, and I enjoyed exactly. it. Exactly. And that, that is precisely where I'm going next with it. One of the things I liked that you did in the book, and I don't know if there was, maybe, Nick, you can address this, you and Scott. What? But I I don't know if this was a deliberate thing, but there was a concerted effort to concentrate almost exclusively on the stories. You you presented this as perfectly as you could say it. You said it earlier. Yep. This book is a car ride. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. This book is a car ride. Uh, the only Wait, other he, book, he, and I'm going to tell you, and, I, and I'm going to plug this because he's a friend of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other book that even comes close to Cowboy Scott Casey's book is a book that Jimmy Valiant wrote called Mercy Daddy. The, uh, the Jimmy, <laughs> it's, it was called Woo Mercy Daddy, mm-hmm. the Jimmy Valiant story. And, uh, and I'm in that book. So thank you, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> But that book is 600 pages I know. of car ride. Yeah, That's what it is. It's a 600-page it's a book that takes you from coast to coast, from pillar to post, in every wrestling venue, small and large, across the country. And, that's, and I get that same feeling from One Last Ride. Um, it's like... Well, you, know, we, you got to stop. It's like going back in a time machine, too, Scott, you know? You can almost close yeah. your eyes and vision, you know, envision certain certain things taking place around you. If you you read a few lines and then close your eyes a bit, you can imagine it happening. You know, the smoke filled oh, arena. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, uh, the the small sleepy town. You know, go ahead, Nick. No, yeah. Well, thank thank you for the high praise, Angelo. And I I read Boogie's Great book. Cool. His, his book was fantastic. So, and I'll I'll be working with uh, Boogie Woogie Man in a few weeks. So I'll tell him that you said hi, Angelo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where are you gonna work with him at? Virginia. I'm gonna be going down uh uh to uh, where he's in uh, Shawsville. So I'm gonna be going down sure. to that. Sure. Yeah. He sure is. Yeah. And doing uh uh we don't we can't really do public signings, but doing a virtual signing with him. So. Oh, uh, 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited. Please give him that, my best. I, I, I spoke to him about a month ago. Please, uh, please do to give him my best. Absolutely. So, continue. Um, but what, what, like you said, uh, that that was my goal is because uh, I've I've worked with so many wrestlers, and one of my favorite parts. It's great to go to the conventions. Uh, you know, I, I love it when the wrestlers see each other for the first time and they haven't seen each other in 20, 30 years sometimes. And they, they give each other a big hug and it's it's like family reuniting. But one of one of my favorite things uh, when I have talent up is just being in the car with the boys and going from A to B and just bullshitting with them about what what this town was like or the last time they were up here or when they hit up this bar, because that's that's what what I'm in a car with my buddies from high school. We talk about stuff we did in all these different towns, and we didn't live half the life that you know these these gypsies did on the road for 20, 30, 40 years. <laughs> you know? So I, I, that's kind of the narrative that I was looking for. I wanted people to kind of, I, I didn't want it to be war and peace, you know. <laughs> I wanted it to be a fun read. Uh, that people can like, so I helped killer Tim Brooks, uh, rest in peace. I helped him with, yeah. I'm in the process of, of still getting everything together. The first draft's done, but I, I helped him with his biography. And, uh, he told me after he read the Scott Casey book, he goes, I read it in two sittings. And I'm like, that's kind of the vibe I wanted. I didn't want. So when I read books for whatever reason, I'll read two and three books at a time. So I'll read the first hundred pages of one and I'll move over to 50 pages of another, then go back to book A. That's just how my mind works. But with this book, I wanted someone to be able to pick it up and, you know, spend two or three hours with it to where they're caught up because they get story after story. It's nothing that's going to overwhelm them with everything that's going on. Uh, either, you know, I, wa I want to take people to, you know, kind of a, uh, a different place, you know, and that place being, you know, the shotgun of a car or the driver, the driver of a car. Well, Scott's got a case of beer and he's telling stories. And that's kind of yeah. that's what I'm hoping to do with the book. And, you know, I, it's great to hear that you said we accomplished that, Angela. Thank you. Well, one of the great things about being in my position is I can read one last ride. And then if I have any questions, I can pick up the phone and call Scott. Mm -hmm. Or I could get his ass on my show and just uh, run him through the mill. Absolutely. <laughs> Dan and I are good like that. Dan and I are real good like that. Scott, so let me ask you a question. Um, it, it's pretty clear from the conversations you and I have had in the past that you thought for a long time about putting something down on paper. When did you make that fervent commitment to say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bite the bullet. I'm gonna do it now, um, and I'm gonna leave. I'm, I'm not gonna leave anything out. I'm gonna put everything in, and uh, you know, and let people see my life, good, bad, and and you know, the good, bad, and the ugly. It probably was after I met Nick, because he was so. I mean, I hate putting him over like this, but he's so intelligent <laughs> and. He, and he has a lot of verbiage that comes through, and it makes a lot of sense. And I thought, you know, all these years I ought to do something with it, make a book out of it. And we we got to talking, and that's how we got started with it. You know, it's just you you don't. I didn't want to waste it. I didn't want for people to not know that you know we'd spend six hours, seven hours driving somewhere to wrestle in front of. 
40, 50, or 100 people, you people would go, are you out of your damn mind? Yeah, I guess I was because I love doing it. But Well, uh, you know what, Scott? I, I want to I I I'm put you over for a little bit here. Um, that driving, you know, two, 300 miles to work for 50 or 100 people, people don't understand what that did for you as a worker. You know, because everybody's that these kids today are spoiled, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna call a spade a spade. They're spoiled, okay? They don't know what it's like to work in front of a small crowd. You know, they get contracts that are in the six figures to start with. You know, they're spoiled little brats to begin with. They don't know what it's like to pay their dues or to earn their keep. But guys like you and Boogie and, uh, and Manny Fernandez and, and Johnny Mantell and all, you know, all my other old buddies. Um, you guys, you worked for 50 people. And if it was snowing out, you maybe five people came. And if you had a good night, maybe you had three or 400. But you guys worked every night. And that's where you learned your craft. And that, my friend, is why you got so good so quick. Well, and it's like I used to tell people, young guys, when I was training some, I said, it's, it's, this is kind of a twofold thing, but I said, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. Thank you. I said, on the other hand, you could say it's not how you do it, but what you do. And both ways. And I mean, you know, it's just the old timers taught us timing, how to pause, how to stand, how to walk, how to look, when to throw a punch. And the old timers say, okay. You're going to sell this. Boom. And you would, you know, and you get the match over. But you learn yeah. so much from these old guys, you know, and they learned it from other old guys besides them. So exactly. It was, it was, I, I, I heard of, a, a great uh, quote one time. I forgot which one of the boys told me, but they say the way to learn this business, you learn it in two places, in the cars and in the bars. And it's that's true. it. That's that's how that's how absolutely true, Nick. Honest to God, Nick, it's absolutely true. In the bars and in the cars. Well, if if I may then, Scott, who was the elder statesman who taught you the ropes back back when you started? Well, I had a number of people. I had Terry Funk. I had Dory Funk Jr., Bobby Duncan, Duke Myers. And the one person, he he, he told me something that I will always, always remember. And this was Luthez. Luthez. I walk yeah. out, and he's standing by the curtains, and the first match is on. And I said, Lou, what are you doing? He said, I'm watching the match. I said, you're seven times world champion. What the hell do you need to watch these guys for? He said, Scott, you can always, always learn from somebody, and you can steal it for yourself, and nobody can say anything about it. <laughs> I thought, wow. I'll you never can't, that. I'll, I mean, I'll tell you, you know, what, you can't put a price on that kind of advice. You really, really can't. Here's, no, a, no, a, you know, no. and, and that's something that's missing. The guys, they don't, they don't learn and they don't learn to, to be creative. They don't think outside the box. They're, you know, they're cookie cutter wrestlers anymore because nobody does what Luthez did. And watch yeah. everybody and take a little, like Bruno Sammartino, rest in peace. Bruno was one of those guys that did the same thing. 
Now, he didn't have to because he was already the champion. But here's a guy who stood at the curtain and watched everybody, you know, before him and after him. You know? Yeah, and it's just... And the way you do things, you know, the way you take a bump, the way you... If somebody gives you a tackle, which way do you turn, left or right, to get up and receive whatever else you're going to have happen to you? It's just, exactly, you know, Scott. You, exactly. You, got, you know, you have got to be – well, nobody's perfect, but you've got to be as perfect as you can be, and you've got to know how to sell. I even had – and I'm blowing my horn here one night. I'm wrestling Brute Bernard. And you guys probably don't know him, but he's six. He was six two to about two ninety. I know and, who Bruppen uh, was. He got he got so much heat on me, and I sold it so well. I had, he came and said, "Scott, are you okay?" <laughs> and I thought I did my job right. There but, you I mean, go. That's just what it is. <laughs> you know, you just you know, and by God, when you're working with guys like that, if you don't sell. <laughs> You know what's going to happen to you. They're going to make you know. sell. Oh, I, we heard that. You know, Dan, what, what's the one thing, Dan, because Nick is a newbie here. You know, <laughs> Scott, Scott already knows. But what's the one thing that I harp on almost every week? The one thing you harp oh, about the, uh, the learning the people stories versus the match results? Psychology. Oh, sorry. Psychology. You harp on a lot of things. I you have to be harp more on specific. that. Every what's that? Are you I being think a you harp on a lot of things? Be a hair more specific. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna smash. See, this is Nick. This is what I deal with every fuck. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> we, okay, <laughs> this, this is what know, I have Angela, to every week right. with this kid. I'm right, telling Angela. you, I'm gonna take this whooper snapper and teach him a lesson out back to the woodshed. But that, that psychology. It's missing. It's dead. It's a dying art. It's been dying art. It's a dead art. Right. Nobody understands psychology because they're not trained to. They're not told to. Scott, what would happen in the day if, God forbid, you were in the ring, let's say, with Bruiser Brody, um, and you didn't, you didn't kind of like, you know, sell for Bruiser, or, uh, or you didn't, you know. Or your psychology was off, or uh, you made him look bad. Something you don't want to do. What would happen? Just tell somebody today. Well, I, I, let me tell you. I worked with with Frank, well, Bruiser Brody, Frank Goodish. Anyway, yes, and uh, he was leaving to go to Japan, and he, the the Funks, and me, and a couple other guys were in the back, and and they said, well. We want you to drop the belt to, to Ricky Romero or somebody else. And he said, no. Now, here's a guy six foot six, <laughs> 280 pounds. He said, no. And they looked at him. They said, what do you mean? He said, I'm dropping it to him and pointed it at me. I went, oh, shit. I'm going to be in trouble now. I'm not even <laughs> opening my mouth. So we, and I doubt this happened very, very few times. We wrestled in Corpus Christi. It was his last match before he went to Japan. And you know how he wanted me to beat him? A sunset flip. In other words, yep. jump over the top of him, hook his waist, and roll him over. One, two, three. I thought, Jesus Christ, are people going to believe this? But 
he made me look so good, and I worked so hard for it. They did believe it. So I was Scott. Very- I asked you that question, and I and I used Bruiser Brody as an example because I absolutely knew that story beforehand. Now you don't know that I knew that story, but and because there's no. not a lot of people who do, unless you were in the locker room at the time, you wouldn't know. Um, but Nick's going to find out that I know everybody in this business, pretty much everybody. Um, and I'm glad we're buddies now, Angelo. Say again. Speak up, Say again. Nick. Oh, did you lose him? Oh, oh. no, I'm here. Uh, yeah, the poor poor reception came up for whatever reason, but we're back. Oh, inside. I'm sorry. Oh, I because you're living up north. No, I, I was no, I was just saying, Angelo. It's a good thing that uh, we're buddies now. The fact that you know you got so many connections. That's I'm glad I'm on your right side. Yeah. Oh, bro, please. Are you kidding me? You're ever going by? It's it's a given. It's a given. Absolutely. <laughs> There you go. But, you know, I hope that you yeah, see the. Uh, I don't know, Dan. We may have to send Nick a copy of the uh, the Mafia show that we just did. <laughs> By the way, we're doing part two on uh, September seventeenth next week. Part okay. two of uh, Married to the Mob. But I digress. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wait, Scott, you'd love this show. We were talking about. All these mafia they characters. They made a movie. Yeah, they made yeah, a well, movie. You know, here's the to thing, the too. Uh, the, the, Scott, this is a really good place to go, actually. Here's a really good place to go. And maybe Dan can pick up on it because he's the smartest guy in the room. Um, <laughs> that's what he tells me every week. Um, when In your tenure in the business, have you ever had bear witness to any of these uh, these shady, like, you know, mafia-type characters doing business? Because we know Have that I got a story for you. Yes, I knew you did. Go for it. Now, I'm in Kansas City, and my wandering eye sees this gorgeous, drop-dead gorgeous Italian girl. And I walked up to her and started talking. We set up a chance to meet later on. She walks away back to the restroom. One of the Italian guys said, do you know who you're talking to? And I said, no, and I can't remember his name. But anyway, he said, you are talking to the daughter of the Mafia Don here in Kansas City. He said, I would advise you to leave now and don't come back to this bar. <laughs> Brother, you, you could not get me out that door so fast. And man, I really wanted to get with her so I could drop her linen and make her start grinning. But no, I, I, I said, no, uh, uh, not me. I could, hell, I'd be floating in the water somewhere, you know. But uh, that was true. I mean, that, you're yeah. talking about it, Italian stuff. Dan, you want to pick know. up on the wrestling mafia connection? Well, we, we touched on it previously. It's, uh, and Scott, I'm sure you can vouch for this. There was a lot of, especially in some of the territories, a lot of, um, well, how do we say this, uh, businessmen who used, who funded some territories as a way of, of filtering and cleaning money and other things. 
And it's actually funny, um, and Nick, I don't know if you ever hit any of this on your research, but several high-profile talents came up through territories that were that are started as laundering fronts. And you, know, you, you see, I mean, obviously not as much now, but, oh, just lost Nick. Oh. Well, you know, it, it, stuff like that, I tried to stay away from. I knew about it, but, I mean, you know, look and smile and keep your mouth shut was my policy because you never knew who you were talking to. You never knew what their reputation was, you know, and I always just tried to be nice to people. Otherwise, you know, you might get your ass whipped or you're shot or killed or whatever. And I didn't feel like that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, to, to, to transition a bit, we talked about, uh, keeping things clean. Um, promoters i know we try and keep more of the human side uh last time you were on we talked about some of your travels and your road work and all that um when you were down south what's the difference between working with a promoter who's a businessman and say the von erics or the funks who promoters who are also the wrestlers and the talent well they try to the the guys that were wrestling promoters like fritz you know he, he knew all about what we were doing he knew our he knew how we felt, you know, and we all knew that the Von Erichs were going to be over and that was it. But uh, he still would throw you a bone every once in a while and make you feel like you were important. But as far as the businessmen, they relied on their bookers to help them figure out what was up and what was down, you know. And you just, I just, I tried to keep my mouth shut as much as I could. Uh, I realized that it wasn't going to do me any good to to get into a pissing contest with these guys. Yeah. But I I remember with uh, McMahon, uh, we were in Odessa for my last match, and I walked in the dressing room, and I'm sure I told you this before. I, I said, in 1990, do I have a job with you or not? He said, no, just like that. He said, I want you to go to Atlanta and work for a year down there and come back. And I looked at him and I said, you know, Vince, I can accept failure when given a chance to fail. I said, but, and I'm not crying the blues. I said, but you guys never gave me a fucking chance to do anything. I was just one of the girls in the show. And I realized there were a lot of good talent that was that way. I mean, I saw many guys that were main events all over the country that couldn't even get in a main event match there in New York, but that's what he wanted. It was his money. It was his football. So we're going to play with it in his backyard the way he wanted us to. Otherwise get the fuck out of town. You know, you you weren't going to, you know, that's just the way it was. But I mean, you know, the promoters were different if they were businessmen instead of wrestlers first. And yeah, well, and that brings up a good point too. At what point, did you realize, Scott, that the writing was on the wall and it might be time to get out? Uh, <laughs> I guess after I talked to Vince, you know, I mean, I'm 255, 60 pounds, and I'm all steroided up, and he's talking to me. And when he said that, I wanted to jump over the table and beat the shit out of him, but I didn't. <laughs> I mean, you know, come on. What did, what's that going to do? Everybody's going to say, oh, Scott's an asshole for beating somebody up. Or he might have beaten me up. I don't know, because he was in damn good shape himself. Yeah. And uh, I just, you know, I've been to so many territories, and I, I 
won belts and was a world champion and all this other stuff. And then yeah. I, 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 I had to put guys over that I felt couldn't carry my jock strap. But anyway, I, yeah. when I was there in New York, I mean, guys like, uh, I can't remember the names of the guy, uh, Barry, Barry Horowitz. No, 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 no. Cause, oh, I'm sorry. I, th- I thought you were guy. still talking about your final matches. My apologies. Yeah, I am. I, I'm just saying, I, I, I just, after a while, you know, I got tired of being, okay, you're going to go 10 minutes and drop the fall, blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, and I, and I thought, you know, I'd set records in Texas and I made a lot of money there and I did well at it. And they didn't, that, that nothing. even in Amarillo where I was over like, you know, chocolate pie. But anyway, I was there and they made me beat, uh, someone beat me in the middle of the ring. And yeah. the people couldn't believe it. And I, you know, I, I worked for a couple, two, three, four years up I, there in Amarillo. You know, so it's just, you just, after a while you learn, hey, look, you know. I, sure. I, I'm 42, I'm 42 years old. I'm still in good shape, but this ain't going to work. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I had my ride. And like uh, Nick said, one last ride. And that's what it was. You know, and so I was glad after, to... after you know you uh, after you walk and uh, wrestling is in the rearview mirror, you know what is what does uh, Scott Casey pick up and do? You know, having uh, been a a physical, you know, world class athlete his entire career, what do you what do you do? Where do you go? Well, I for the first, I mean, you back up and say for. 20 some odd years, six days a week, I worked out with weights always because they said, you'll never be big enough. You'll never be this or that, blah, blah, blah. And I showed them different. But anyway, the thing about it was I, uh, hold on for a second. I gather my thoughts here. Uh, it's fun being 73. You have these senior moments, but anyway, I got Take your time, brother. We got it all night. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> Anyway, we're in no hurry. Uh, huh? Okay. Uh, I just we're in no hurry. I, 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 anyway, I worked out, and after Vince gave me my walking papers, I sat home for a month and a half, never hit a weight, drank my ass off, and I was depressed. I really was. I thought it's one of those things like, oh, this is never going to end. I'm going to be able to do this till I'm my age now, you know, and yeah. I just. It was just when you give your heart and soul and your body and your life and your divorces and everything into the business, it's just depressing. It was, you know, and but I went down to uh, Houston and uh, Ivan Pusky was there and uh, he said, will you help me train some people? I said, sure. In walks. Booker T and his brother Stevie Ray. Now these guys are big boys, six three, six four. And I trained them, and I left, and I went back up to uh, Dallas. And uh, next thing I know, I mean, I told these guys, I said, "Look, they're going to call you every name in the book. They're going to call you the N word. They're going to say behind your back, not to your face." I said, "But like I said, it's not what you make; it's what you save." 
And I I hadn't seen him for, God, 10 years. And next thing I know, they're asking me to come to Las Vegas and present them into the Cauliflower Alley Club. Cauliflower, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I was so proud that they were there and they did it. And it, it's a lot of fun, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know. Scott, do you... um? Do, do you keep in touch with uh, with some of the well the, the the few that are still around? Do you do you keep in touch with some of your uh, your your cohorts from Southwest? Uh, I know Manny so is still there. around. I I I keep in touch with Terry Funk. Right. Because he's not real well. He's got stomach problems, and he's and he. I talked to him today, and he said he had to have a shot in his hip because it was killing him. I talked to uh, Hillbilly Jim all the time. I mean, that, if you ever had him on your show, you can't get a word in edgewise. I'd <laughs> love to have him on the show if I knew where to reach him. Well, I will talk to him, and I will give give him your your number and see if he wants to do it. Uh, he has a radio show down in, uh, oh, hell, Tennessee, somewhere like that. I'll find yeah. out. But I'll get back in touch with you. But I Terrific. mean, you'd love it. I mean, this guy is amazing with his verbiage. And I also talked to uh, I talked to Ivan Putsky. And let's see, who else do I have I talked to lately? Bruce Swayze, beautiful oh, wow. Bruce. Yeah, a great guy. I don't know whether you ever met Bruce or knew him or or whatever. I know but, who he uh, is. Absolutely, of course. Yeah, he. He's quite a guy. And yeah. uh, I, who else did I talk to the other day? I'm trying to remember. I'll talk to, uh, oh, God, it's so much fun. Don't get old. It's the living fucking shit. So I'm telling <laughs> you. You sit there. I'm sorry, folks, but just the way I feel. Uh, Only a wrestler could say getting old is the drizzling shits. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, you know, come on. I'll go in somewhere, and or I, I'll go out the door, and I, and I got to go somewhere, and I'm looking for my keys. Well, fuck, I've got them in my hand. There Hello. you go. Yeah. Well, let me, I'll tell you what. Let me throw it to Nick for for a few minutes here. Nick, when <laughs> getting stories out of Scott Casey was it a natural thing, or did you have to get him liquored up first? No, they're extremely natural. So I I did the research on my end, uh, and. Uh, I had some help from my buddy Jim that, you know, helped with a timeline. And that timeline literally had thousands of matches on Scott, people he teamed with, people he faced, towns he was in. And I kind of used that to structure a lot of my questions. But sure. it was, no, it was extremely easy. Don't get me wrong. We, we, we've thrown a few back over the years. But at no point, I, don't, I can't speak for myself, at no point, I don't think I did I even have a drink during the recording process. We were recording three to four days a week. Lots of times on my end, it was after I was done with my, my full-time job at the time, which was uh, I was working for a, a national food distributor called the Chef's Warehouse. So I'd be done keying my orders, and I would talk to Scott from anywhere from 60 minutes to maybe even two hours. And uh, I would transcribe everything on the weekends and then you know go through the follow-up questions the week after. And this process went on for you know about, about six months, just gathering yeah. all the information. And at no point 
did I feel like Scott was uh, a lemon that had been completely squeezed dry. Like, I feel like we got a ton of information out. As a matter of fact, I didn't know that story he just told about Brute Bernard. He's told there's a good Brute Bernard story in the book, but I didn't know that particular story that he just brought yeah. up months ago. So uh, Scott's got a ton of stories. He does he does tell the same ones sometimes, but there's so many stories that we haven't heard, and I just tried to do my best. <laughs> to many Nick, let me let me tell you something, young Nick Mashey. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something, young fella. Yes, sir. They call Uh-oh. Angelo the extractor. You know why? Why? Because I get shit out of people. There you go. Daniel, you want to pick up on where ne- Daniel? Don't give me that look. Uh, I didn't say anything. <laughs> you didn't have to. You gave me that eat shit and die look. <laughs> oh boy. This is where I have to go to Scott. He he does this to me what, every what he, week. What he actually means is this is what I have to deal with every week. <laughs> well, here's well, what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to pick up where Nick left off, you schmuck. Jesus. Well, you know, Nick, you, you you hit it on the head. You said how, how the stories just keep coming. I mean, mm-hmm. Angelo mentioned at the top of the show, this is the seventh time Scott's been a friend of the show for since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, how you can have seven plus hours, eight, eight nine, ten hours of conversation. And, yeah, you, you, the occasional bit here and there, but and every time you hear new material – I, I'm yeah. I, I that goes back to my earlier question. I talked about how you fi- kind of fine tune the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any plan with the fact that there's so much more to tell to do a follow up, or is this? Wow, that's that's a great question. Um, I think there could there's no plan for that. Uh, I think that that's something though that could be explored. Uh, absolutely. Um, as I was saying earlier, um, I I finished uh, Killer Tim Brooks his. Uh, his, what's going to be his memoir now. Um, the book, yeah. ho- I was hoping it'd be out the end of this year, obviously, you know, with, with Tim's health taking a turn for the worse and then him unfortunately passing on. It's kind yeah. of a wreck that. I, I, truth be told, I haven't gone back and worked on it since. It's, it was a hard few weeks for me, that process, of just getting to know someone, watching them, you know, go through the process of, you know, essentially getting, getting sicker and sicker. And uh, that was, it was very hard. So, but um, I, yeah. I do want to release that book for his family at some point because that, that is my biggest writing priority. Hopefully getting that book out maybe the first quarter of 2021. And, yeah. uh, but then down the line, yeah, I'd love to do something with Scott again. As soon as uh, he can stay up in my state for more than 24 hours, I want to bring him back to Connecticut so we can do the loop. Connecticut, New yeah. York, all these places uh, up this way again because I know he's, uh, he's uh, in Arkansas right now as, as he calls it Bigfoot country. So, uh I'd love to get him back up to civilization to where we can start off. Uh, oh, absolutely. You, you let me know when you get him back up here, brother, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you, you mentioned something in the passing of Killer Tim Brooks. Um, yep. Our condolences uh, to the family of uh, Tiller, uh, Tim Killer Brooks and, uh, of course, the Armstrong family. This has been a bad year for wrestling, guys. Um, we lost a lot this year. We lost an awful lot of people this year. Um, uh, we're going to, I think we're going to do Dan on a, on a serious note. I think we're going to dedicate this show. Why don't we do this? Why don't we dedicate this show to, uh, to all the people we lost this year, you yeah. know? Amen. And, uh, amen. yeah, amen is right. Well, Johnson too. Yeah. yeah. So, um, 
if you, uh, I tell you what, if you get a chance to come up here, Scott, up back to the Northeast for any you know, length of time, you better, you better have me on speed dial. You know? Okay. Yeah, yeah totally I'm right. serious. Uh, Call my ass up. I'll be there, brother. <laughs> I'll be there. Well, one of the funnest things that I did up there when I was with Nick was meeting his kids. They are the, <laughs> I call Dylan, Mr. Dylan and Brookie. I mean, she won't, she's like Nick. She, they were just amazing. And I just loved them to death. So yeah. my, that's to Scott, you, Nick. I don't think I, I don't think I've told you, but Scott, my, my daughter doesn't go a week without asking about you. <laughs> she wants to know when Scott oh. Casey's coming to visit again. True story. Yeah. So I'm ready. Hey, we're going to have two, three and four after everything uh, gets back to normal, hopefully. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, slowly but surely, finally, finally in New Jersey, I can report that things are starting to open up for the first time since February. That's good. And not a moment too soon. Not a moment too soon. Well, I'll tell you what, Nick, you are a welcome guest back here. Again, I'm sure we're going to have you back. I would love to be back. If you think that this is the last appearance by Cowboy Scott Casey, you got another thing coming there. <laughs> don't, don't tempt me with a good time. Because I know Scott, and I, I tell people, I know Scott Casey, and every once in a while he remembers me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, just make sure I tattoo it on my arm or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, no, thank you Nick once is- again, my friend. I'll give you a holler tomorrow. Um, Nick, okay. thank you for joining us. I want everybody just to stay stay where you are for a minute. We're going to do a little bit of housekeeping, Dan and I. Daniel, next week, tell everybody what's coming up. We've got the return of Stephen Plim on the 22nd. Tell everybody who Stephen Plim is, brother. Stephen Plim was a manager and producer. He worked, he was the manager and best friend of Tiny Tim, the famous ukulele player, unique talent. In music, and he wrote a book called Tiny Tim and Mr. Plim, where he told the story of a lot of behind the scenes stuff, very, um, how to put this politely, very risque, adult, adu- risque, adult personal stories uh, that shed a, a light on Tiny Tim. A lot of people hadn't seen before, and we had him on. He told a lot of good stories. We actually had uh, Vince Russo as a, a, a cameo. He did a, a cameo of sorts on the show, and we a cameo. He was here for an hour and ten minutes. What do you mean a short? Well, I, I didn't say short. I said he, a cameo, or maybe I didn't oh. say short. But he, uh, uh, you know, com- compared to the the the, the five six appearance. hours he promised you, a uh, second appearance. He was with us yeah. for two and a half hours the first show. Right, but he remember he 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 on the air. We got the recording. He promised you five hours if you could and get. And he welched on that the bastard. <laughs> But in uh, just like we, we talked about with uh, having Cowboy on, you, you, we barely scratched the surface. So we've got a lot oh of returning God, guests yeah. coming up. Oh, absolutely. There, you, there, you know we're going to do another show on, on, on the book for sure. Um, that, very that's, much, a that's a given. Because I just I like having Scott on, so I invite him on all the time. Well, I mean, um, look at- next week, um, September 15th. A true icon in wrestling, the le- the legendary friend of the living legend Bruno Sammartino, 
his lifelong friend, in fact, from the uh, from the uh, the Pittsburgh area, old school WWF back in the day, Daniel, when you were just a wee pup. Don't you know what? When we get off the air, you and I are going to have a little. <laughs> we're going to talk, but Dominic Danucci will be here from the original Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Uh, he is a guy. He's eighty-nine years old. He's sharp as a tack. He's amazing. This guy is just on top of it. It's amazing that guy, eighty-nine years old, can remember every match he's ever had, but. And Still doesn't know how to work the clock on his VCR. What's that, Scott? I said, tell him I said hello. That's well, I got a better idea. Why don't you come on and talk to him? Sounds like a winner. I'll All call right. you next Let week, me... brother. I'll have you back. See, okay. it's any time I get a chance to have Scott Casey, I'm gonna have him on. I'll bring Thank him. You, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, and. We also, Daniel, uh, we've got next week, we also have, um, who do we have? Oh, I just said it, too. We've got, oh, George Anastasia, the famed yeah. mob part, author and writer. Part two of our Mafia series. Yes. Part two with George Anastasia, married to the mob, wrestling with the future of organized crime. That's going to be a good one. And, uh, of course, like I said, September 22nd, Stephen Plim. And a, uh, I'm hoping a surprise guest for the 24th of September. I think it's about 99% right now, but I'm waiting for confirmation for the 24th. So I'm not going to say anything just yet. I'll probably have something for you either Thursday or next week. Anyway, for... Cowboy Scott Casey, for Marvelous Nick Mashey, for Dan the Man Sebastiano, the smartest guy in the room, I'm Angelo DeCipio for Wrestling with the Future. Take care. Happy wrestling, everybody. We'll see you next time.